Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. I thought about not using that because it's so old. It's like six, seven years old. But then I, but then I thought, well, why not? Because that could have just as well been two weeks ago too, right? I mean, the news hasn't changed, has it? And let me ask you just a, a quick question. I, w- I want your feedback. When you see that, what are the one or two feeling words that come to mind? Just blur them out. Anger. Frustration. Sadness. There's a lot of emotion around this issue, isn't it? And uh, we deal with it on a regular basis. All of us have pretty strong opinions, and we, many of us probably won't agree with each other on those strong opinions. We're in this series called Relationship Above Differences, uh, dealing with frequently asked tough questions. And we're dealing with the tough questions that elicit strong emotion in us, maybe because of personal pain, maybe because of offense, maybe because of compassion, because we know someone, but they elicit strong feelings in us. Or the questions we're dealing with are the questions that we can't find easy cultural, social answers to in today's world. Immigration is one of those. We all have a strong opinion. And it's a, it's a problem that's gotten really out of control. I mean, honestly, let's think about it. Just, let's just, just imagine if your position is that all undocumented immigrants should be deported, well, we're talking about 11.7 million people, at least, maybe more. And if you start affecting the, the children of theirs that are U.S. citizens or the spouses, we're talking about mass chaos and upheaval to drastically, radically changed the lives of over 20 million Americans. And that's just hard to even fathom how to deal with such an enormous challenge. I think there's probably only about one thing that we can all agree on. See, and we have our, our, our token Canadian. Yes, where are you this service? We have our token Canadian on staff. Well, she's out. She's out. She's out counting money for the offering. So, uh, but we watched her go through the immigration process the last couple of years, and uh, she had to resubmit her paperwork three times, each time being told by INS that it was completed, approved, perfectly in order, and having to resubmit the paperwork three times. Do multiple tests over and over again. Had to go through several attorneys because the attorneys didn't even know how to understand the INS instructions. So if we don't agree on anything else today, I think we can agree that the system needs some efficiency changes, right? In that process. But it's one of those issues that's really hard to deal with, even from a biblical standpoint. It reminds me of a story I was, I was told years ago. I was told the story of this uh, small Mediterranean port that over the years there had been so many shipwrecks over the centuries that it was very dangerous to get in and out of this small port. And so they decided to set up a series of buoys where they would actually just use the buoys in different angles to realign with different ones. And they would go in and they'd get to a certain point in relation to the buoy and then they would slow down and they'd adjust. In fact, at one point they actually had to stop and back up and realign with buoys to make the next safe run to get into the harbor. And when we try to deal with some issues in the Bible, and immigration is one of them, the Bible does not say anything really clearly definitive as to what our position should be. What it does instead is it gives us a number of different buoys, a number of different guideposts 
that we need to look at and we need to think about in terms of how we orient ourselves to them and even use them on like a day-to-day basis or a year-to-year basis system where we go, I think this buoy is what I need to be aligning to now because that seems wise in our culture today. So we're going to look at some of those guideposts today and I think it's really important for us because most of our disagreement, I suspect, is really based upon what we're focusing on. What guidepost, what buoy we're focusing on. If you're focused on on the issue of terror and drug cartels coming across the border, then your answer, if that's your priority, is very different for how to deal with this issue than if your focus is on the extreme poverty and the injustice that the people who are coming to us are trying to flee just to give their families a better life. Each one is a different focus and a different place. So we're going to have several little buoys within each one of these guideposts, but we're going to organize it this way. We're going to talk about the first kind of guidepost that we need to pay attention to. What does the Bible say about the role and the right of government as it might inform this topic? So if you're to go home or if you're to sit on your iPad right now and you're going to type in a a, a Google search saying, uh, give me biblical answers, Christian biblical answers to immigration, one of the very first hits you'll get and probably the majority of some of the first hits you'll get will all focus on Romans 13. And Romans 13 simply says this, if I was going to summarize the whole concept, respect and obey your authorities, your governing authorities. And so the argument that a lot of Christians give online is simply then this. Undocumented people are breaking the law. They're illegal, so we should not support them. We should not employ them. We should not do anything but create a system to round them up and ship them all back. Basically, kick the lawbreakers out is the whole, is the whole approach, right? And that's not... That's not all that Scripture obviously has to say on it, and we're going to deal with more of that. But yes, the Bible does say we should respect and obey our governing authorities to the greatest extent possible. If you look at the whole text of the Bible, there are times for civil disobedience because it violates something very core to who we are as followers of Christ. But Paul says we do this to the greatest extent possible because there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, those are really strong words, but it gets even stronger and harder for us to deal with the fact that when we realize that Paul wrote that, not during a nice ruler's reign, he wrote it while Nero, this brute, this conniving, corrupt, persecuting, killing people emperor was in power. I mean, our government and all of our officials in our government look like Mother Teresa compared to Nero. And Paul is asking us in that environment. He's saying at all possible cost, at all possible ways, uh, obey and respect your authorities. He goes on to give a second reason in the passage. He says, because few rulers will do you harm when you choose to do them good. Now, obviously, there are some. But basically, the argument of the passage is few, few will choose to do you harm if you do them good. And we also then obey, Paul says, for the sake of a clear conscience. And finally, he gets to the really the end game of this whole passage. Is it says, we obey so that we owe no one anything but love because love fulfills the law of God for us. This is really Paul's passage on what it looks like to be in relationship above differences 
with our government and with politicians and governing authorities, especially with whom we disagree. But the Bible goes on and gives us more to say. Another, guy, another buoy in this, set of, in this set of guideposts. And, and it basically says, the Bible says, the government has the right to establish boundaries. Boundaries of protection for, for your nation, for people's property, and to enforce those laws. It also gives indication that the governments of the world have the right to establish immigration policies and what it means to be a citizen and not be a citizen of the country. It doesn't give a lot of details on that, but it says that that is part of the role of government. It also kind of gives also an indication at some points that that part of becoming a citizen involves a certain level of assimilation to the culture. So that, that can be part of it, but it doesn't really give details. Do they have to speak English or do they have, do they have to speak whatever? It doesn't go to that level of detail. The specific immigration policies are vague. So when we get by and look past the context of what the Bible actually says in words and we look at the lifestyle of that day, what we actually observe in biblical times was, especially in Old Testament times where a lot of the stuff is talked about in regard to immigration, we see a culture that was actually really very nomadic, uh, beginning to settle, increasingly moving towards settlement, but a culture that was very, very nomadic. And we actually see in all the history of the nations around that time that there was mass immigration going on almost constantly. If there was famine, people moved. If there was lack of jobs, people moved. If there was war, people fled and they moved and they uprooted and they retransplanted in another country. And oftentimes, if you lost a war, you were forcibly transplanted to go to another country. There was immigration going on all the time. So... In the last couple of weeks when I've been preparing for this and reading different Christian authors, you get different arguments. Some believe that for us to have anything but an open border is completely inhumane and ungodly. And they would make their case based upon the fact that the Bible talks about all humanity is made in the image of God. If we are really all one people, then how can anybody set a closed border? Or they'll also make the arguments that, uh, that we as a wealthy nation have a responsibility to the poor that God is sending us to. So if we shut them out in any shape or fashion, we are just being greedy and unholy before God. On the other hand, there are Christian authors who say that we should have a completely closed border. And they make their case based upon the fact that basically the argument goes like this. We have all that, all those billions of dollars expense. We're going into huge debt. It's ruining our government and economy to have that big of a burden. We need to close the borders and control it. And the argument is not a completely selfish one in all instances. A lot of times the argument is simply this, the argument that God has blessed us and we can make more influence on bringing the people of the world to a better place in life if we remain as a country strong financially. And so there's a bit of wisdom in that, right? In that argument as well. And a bit of biblical backing for that. And then there's others who would just simply argue this way. We should solve the illegal immigration problem by being more charitable and more involved in missions and social service. And our government should be involved in bettering the governments of the countries where we get most of our illegal immigrants from, mostly Mexico and some of the countries in Central America. And they would argue that that is the way we should do it. And there's really, I think if we 
sit back honestly, there's maybe a little bit of a seed of some really potentially good ideas in all three of those. But the question becomes, what's the wisdom for now? Where are we at as a culture now in our navigation into this harbor? What buoys do we need to take view of and play off of at this moment? And that becomes an issue that we need to pray about and we need to discern our times. And it's not something the Bible speaks to extremely explicitly. There's a second kind of guidepost the Bible gives us too, and it actually says quite a lot about this. It says, what does the Bible say about personal relationships with immigrants? Legal and illegal. And this is really where the rubber meets the road for a lot of us, right? Because if you've been around construction or you've got friends or family members who are in farm work and they refuse to hire illegal immigrants, you know the struggle of unfair competition that they have had in their workplace because of that, right? And you feel the pain of that. Or you may struggle with it for the reasons I did uh, for, the, for the very first time. I was uh, The very first church plant I ever coached was a Hispanic church plant. And I would spend time with them, and I would sit, and half the time some of this would have to be translated because I don't speak Spanish. But I'd sit and I'd listen to them talk among themselves, and most of the people in the church were illegal. And they would say, well, you need to go to Chicago because I know a place in Chicago that you can get a forged paperwork and a stolen Social Security number, and then you can get a better job. It's going to be better for your family. And you look at that, and you kind of go, that just feels yucky all the way around it feels abusive to them it feels taking advantage of them and it feels wrong right and some of us just have dealt with it from the standpoint of our tax bills and we get frustrated with the finances and we look at things like especially california if you took california and made a nation made it a nation it would be the largest eighth largest economy in the world and yet it's about to go bankrupt because of this problem it's amazing isn't it and then some of us have different kinds of feelings that get mixed in as well because we've made friends with people who are undocumented immigrants. And we look at them and we see the struggle they have. We see their children who are now U.S. citizens and our heart goes out to them. Or maybe you're like me and you know, you know undocumented immigrants who came here, who were brought here by their parents as children when they had no choice and now they're in their 20s, they're married, they're having kids and you see the difficulty of their life and how almost impossible it feels for them to ever get things right with our government and be legal. And you look at that and then you start questioning, well, does it really seem fair to send them back to deport them? to uproot people who have never experienced their culture, to take them out of poverty and put them in even worse poverty. And there's, there's just a part of that that just compassion-wise doesn't feel right. Like, right? The Bible says a lot about this personal side of immigration. I, I was actually, when I started studying, a little surprised at how strongly and how much it talks about it. Let's look at Leviticus 19 for one. It says, When an immigrant sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the immigrant who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were immigrants in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Treat him as a native among you. Love him as yourself. Those are strong words. And what does the God say? The reason we should do that? It's because we all at one point in our family history were immigrants too. Even if we take the immigration off the table, we all at one point have transplanted somewhere probably or been in a situation where we're the outsider. And we don't want to feel like that. 
And we don't want them to feel like that either. These aren't isolated words. Leviticus 25 says this, If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though you were a stranger and an an immigrant, and he shall live with you. Boy, when I started reading that passage, I didn't see that last part. God's not just saying be kind. He's saying take them in your home and care for them. Isn't that challenging? Isn't that level of community responsibility and to other people, isn't that just amazing and beautiful? And if we really think about it, wouldn't that kind of commitment to one another and to strangers around us solve so many of the problems we face in America right today and all the social issues and for much less than the government tries to spend in, man- in managing it? The next verse, I sometimes wonder if it was used by whoever wrote into our laws the fact that uh, someone born of an immigrant here is automatically a U.S. citizen because they're born here. It says, Ezekiel 47, You shall allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the immigrants who reside among you and have had children among you. They shall be to you as native-born children of Israel. And then Jeremiah later in the Bible, goes on and confronts the sin of the people of Israel, saying, For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the foreigner among you, the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, or if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. And I don't know about you, but I feel a confrontation of my own heart in that. I feel a confrontation to this, I guess I'll just call it territorialism, that rises up within me, this anger that rises up within me because I've lost a job or because I've lost money and it's unfair and it is unfair. And we can be angry about the unfairness, right? And I also see this territorialism and and many arguments about the population increasing that is not culturally the same as me, maybe doesn't speak English like we want, and the discomfort we experience with that. But what God's saying here is that the core of our sin, the core of His contingent blessing upon us to live long and prosper and be blessed in the land in which we live is tied up with the way we treat the foreigner and the fatherless and the widow. He puts them on the same plane. And he puts both of all those on the same plane with whether we worship him or false gods as well. And I guess I'm just really challenged by that. So how can we apply as followers of Jesus what we've talked about as the church. Now, as the church, it's a little easier for me to think about it. I've dealt with it directly. Uh, My last job working with churches on the West Coast as a consultant, I worked with a church in San Diego, and it ranged on a given Sunday anywhere from 250 to over 500 people. And there were probably one to 200 people in the church who were legal, and the rest were undocumented immigrants. And they were transient depending on the enforcement patterns going on in San Diego. And I was approached as well by many, many pastors and many, many church planters coming to us for help who were growing thriving churches among immigrant populations who they themselves were undocumented, the pastors were. And we had to struggle and wrestle with this. But that's me. What about you? 
I mean, I think all of us every day wrestle with this, knowingly or unknowingly. Every single day we run into immigrants, both legal and illegal, in our world. Whether it's in our workplace, the marketplace, or, 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 or whether it's our children and their friends at school, or whether it's the parents of one of the kids on our kids' soccer team. We run into this on a regular basis. We see people like this all the time. How should we respond to this as we wrestle with these guideposts of surrounding the government's right and responsibility to protect and set laws and as well as, as well as this relationship that God calls us to with the immigrant and legal or illegal and in the way He commands us to be kind and loving and generous to them? It seems to me that there's a third kind of guidepost for us that helps us navigate this tension. And it's the fact that the Bible talks about the kingdom of God. Jesus speaks about the kingdom as not an earthly kingdom, but one that transcends all boundaries and encompasses all people. Paul talks about how we should think about ourselves. And he says this in Philippians 3. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, from which we await await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying to us is we are ourselves foreigners as followers of Christ. Right where we are today, we're immigrants awaiting a return someday to our homeland. And what he's saying to us is the priority, priority above all else, the same priority that Paul talks about, should simply be this, that we bring as many people along as possible into that kingdom of God. The priorities of the kingdom of God trump a nation's immigration policies. And Jesus further describes this priority in uh, one contrasting statement and one story. The contrasting statement is found in Matthew 5. He says this, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, the foreigners that you struggle with, do the same? Uh, This verse could be the guiding verse for our whole series on relationship above differences. But then Jesus goes on and tells this part of the story. The story is longer. I'm just giving you part of it in Matthew 25. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger. And that word stranger could easily be translated accurately, foreigner or immigrant, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison. I was a lawbreaker. I was illegal and in need. And you came to me. And Jesus goes on to say that when we do these kinds of acts, we do them to Him. He receives them from us. When we go to the naked, the poor, the hungry, the stranger, the illegal, and we do acts of kindness, that He receives them as though we are doing them directly to Himself. How do we deal with the way our hearts, how we deal with the way our hearts are toward the prisoner, toward the lawbreaker, toward the illegal immigrant says an awful lot about do we really believe that we're dual citizen people? Are we really followers of Jesus more than we follow others or ourselves? Now, Dr. Jim, uh, Dr. Tim Tennant, sorry, uh, is president of Asbury Theological Seminary, one of the largest seminaries in the nation, and Jeremy's alma mater, hoot hoot for that, 
Is Jeremy back here somewhere? Uh, he's really proud of his alma mater. He actually comments on this issue. And he pulls together a summary of a bunch of different studies in his comments, and he basically says this. He says, of all the immigrant populations over the last couple decades coming into the U.S., 87% of immigrants are either Christian already or based upon how open they are and how fast they are converting will become Christians. And then he proposes this thoughtful question to us, and I think it's worth thinking about. What if God is bringing the immigrants here to bring them to faith in Christ, but also to bring spiritual renewal to America? Because the reality is, when you look at the immigrant churches in America, they are exploding in growth. And when you look at the white Anglo and African American churches that have been established for a long time, they are in decline. What if God is bringing them to bring spiritual renewal to America. But further, let's look at the tensions and difficulties, especially with the illegal issue. And I had to ask myself when I started thinking about this more deeply, where does my passion for justice get focused? And where does my anger get focused in this? And where is your passion about the illegal issue focused? Where does your anger get focused? And I, I was really confronted in this with myself by, by the fact that if, if I am confronting, if I am, if I am focusing on the illegal immigrant, then the likelihood is I am attacking and angry with a fellow follower of Jesus. Or, worse yet, I'm attacking and angry as a Christian with someone who is the most ripe and ready to make a decision to follow Jesus. And that made me step back and think a little bit. But the, the obvious retort to that is, but how, how can we claim, how can somebody claim to follow Jesus and break the laws of immigration and take money under the table? And we land right back at this, this tension between the argument between legal justice and the gospel and responsibility and to obeying the law under the gospel. So how should we personally respond? Since the Bible describes us as living in dual citizenship, I'm going to give uh, some possible ways to respond, several conclusions as to how we could respond by looking at from those citizenship standpoints. As citizens of the USA, I think the Bible is clear we should vote our conscience and we should do it prayerfully, asking God to help us balance law and compassion and understand what He wants to do now. As business people, we should abide by the laws in general. But the reality also is in our culture, if you look at it practically, you and I, unless you're an officer of the court or a police officer, you're not authorized to enforce the laws of the government. In fact, if you're a police officer, you may not even be authorized to enforce these laws of a government who has made them and is unwilling or unable to enforce them. So therefore, as citizens of the kingdom of God, how can we act with the priority of loving the foreigner, the immigrant, legal and illegal, with the kindness and love that is so strong that brings them to faith in Christ that as long as they're here, 
We help them establish a good life and move in the direction of the gospel, move in the direction of God. And if they end up getting deported, somehow we've got relationship with them and we can help them in that massive transition and that upheaval in their life also transition well in some way through our support and our care and our love of them in that process. See, if we refuse to not just know they exist, but rather we choose to know them personally and know them closely like brothers and sisters, then I think God's going to bring tremendous blessing to each and every one of us as we learn to live with the kindest approach to them and the strength of resolve that there are right and wrong and we want to invite them kindly to that that we can live in relationship above differences. And relationship above differences so often gets pegged to arguments. But relationship above difference is also relationship above offense. I just want to invite you right now to just take a moment as I begin to pray. And I want you to ask God, where does He want to touch you right now on this issue? Lord, we just ask that You'd come and that You would help each and every one of us who have had very real tangible pain and harm because of this issue or offense. And I ask that you'd come to each one of us and that you would help us to lay that offense at your feet, to process it well, and to be able to walk free, Lord, that you would take our hearts that have become hardened in the midst of that pain and that you would make them soft so that we can live life with the kind of courage that says we can do what's right, we can even vote for stronger or whatever that looks like, whatever we think is right, whatever we think you're behind in terms of immigration law, but we can also relate to the people who are in violation of it right now with a kindness that is so amazingly winsome and patient that they find you and find blessing. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite Jeremy up here, and if you've been submitting questions, we're going to answer questions for a couple minutes. Did we get some, Dusty? All right. While he's working, um, one of the things that have come up in the past weeks uh, during the first two messages of this is we realized that there were a whole lot more questions submitted than we could answer on Sundays, and we had requests to try to answer them. So here's how I'm going to try to do that. Um, after services every Sunday, I'm not going to go back to pray with people. We'll have other people in the back there to pray. I'm just going to hang down front. So if you've had questions, even the last two weeks when we dealt with uh, Scripture and is it reliable and when we dealt with uh, the role of the Bible in women's rights, that you have not had a chance to get answered or questions from today that we don't get a chance to get answered, I'm just going to hang, hang out. And I don't have all the answers, but if I know something related to what the Bible says, I'll try to at least give you a guidepost to think about it. And I'll hang out to answer questions. So, Dustin, you got any ready? I do. I do. Okay. Uh, the first one. Columbus is the second uh, most Somalian populated city. Their constitution defines Sharia law as a base for legislation. With that in mind, is it wise for us to let our children socialize with Somali children? So let me ask you this. If you're a Democrat, is it wise to let your children uh, associate with a libertarian? Um, 
our democracy allows for every voice within our democracy to try to have input into the legal system. I hope we as Christians have input into the legal system. I hope we vote our conscience. And, uh, and there's a little bit in there... Um, there's a little bit in that question, this sense of protectiveness. And I think we as Christians tend to fall into the sense of protecting ourselves rather than being the kingdom of God, empowered by the living God, that is intended to break into this world across all cultures. And I think, I think when we insulate our kids too much, bringing them up from opposing views, we actually make them more susceptible to problems. And we don't teach them relationship above differences when we become too insulated. Yeah, I would even suggest that this is an opportunity for us to instill deeper into our children uh, the strong sense of what it means to be a follower of God and and how uh, Scripture clearly tells us that we need to be set apart from culture but also influencing the culture. Um, we need to be leaders and shapers um, uh, to all of the people around us as it pertains to our faith. And so this is a great opportunity for us to to spread the message of Christ. Muting myself, I apologize. All through the Old Testament, the cities had walls. Why? Was this just for wars or was it for immigration too? Um, there's no real clear answer to the delineation of immigration on that. Obviously, it was for wars. There were regular wars. It was regular protection. But uh, if you also understand the walled cities of, of old, they were actually a small portion of the city usually. And a lot of people lived in the land right outside and they would run into the city when an attack came. So it's not a really a fair estimate of old cities to say the entire city was walled and all the people were trying to protect themselves. Uh, it was usually more of an issue for war. And there really is uh, not a tremendous amount of indication on immigration laws. The closest that you come to an, indi an indication of immigration laws and permissions being in place is in the story of Joseph. And in that story, you see him already being the second in command in Egypt, and he discovers his dad's alive, and they send chariots and horses and wagons to go get him, and he gets special permission from the pharaoh to do that. So some people have tried to argue that that indicates that there were not open borders. Uh, in the Old Testament. The reality is I think all the borders were pretty much open from what you can study in history and especially at least from the Bible context of that day. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's a command that they should be open. I think if you look at that instance of Joseph, you can't generalize it because this is a different case. This is a large company of people coming in all at once and they just so happen to be the family of the second in charge traveling through some areas crime-ridden and this permission that Pharaoh gives them is really more about protecting them and blessing them as a special place because of who they are. Very good. I don't know that the undocumented population is as great in this part of town than in others, but is Quest actively reaching out to, uh, I think I should say, or supporting these groups through our ministries? I would like to be actively. So anybody want to start a ministry? <laughs> And, uh, and some of this for us is going to be uh, the people who are mowing your lawns. What are we doing to be kind to them? You know, what are, we, what are we doing to be kind to them? 
And so maybe they don't, maybe not as many people live in New Albany who are undocumented because of the cost of living, but they're everywhere around us on a daily basis in the marketplace. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I know that this isn't a, a direct outlet for us, but, but WARM does have many ministries that reach out to, like, like we were just talking about the Somalian population, uh, throughout the summer. And so our support of them really does uh, help uh, in this area. So, And it would be really cool to start a ministry like that at Quest. So if you feel that little pit in your stomach right now, that may be the Holy Spirit saying, start this ministry. Yeah, so. here's the deal. We want to be simple. Ministries to be sustainable, need they need to start within your network. So how many of you have a network where you know of people who are immigrants and you are around them on a regular basis, whether they care for your property or whether they work with you or whether they're with your kids' soccer teams? I want to make things simple. I want to do them in the course of our life. We do things through relationship. And we will impact all those communities we've just referenced as we spread out in relationship. Again. What do we do when we have been law-abiding, but the lawless actions of the illegal ones have affected our finances so drastically that they are in better financial state than we are? Stinks, doesn't it? (laughs) It really does. And uh, I think the call is the same of what we said before. We've got to treat them with kindness. We've got to treat them with generosity. And uh, this has been a problem all throughout the Bible. Lord, why do the wicked seem to prosper? The lawbreakers seem to prosper. I'm not saying all of them are, are wicked. But if they're, if they're breaking the law, then, okay, I know some people don't like using the term illegal. But technically they are, right? So let's just use that as a technical term. Uh, they are, based upon our laws. And, uh, you know... Jesus was mistreated for us, and unfortunately, we sometimes are. And I want you—I want to—I want to encourage you to grieve that well. Mm-hmm. Don't ignore that. Grieve that injustice well, and then respond graciously and lovingly and generously. Mm-hmm. Great answer. All right. Uh, this one ha- was asked in last service, but uh, I've had questions like it, so I'm going to go ahead and ask it again. Uh, the government's laws say don't employ illegals, but abundant kindness might include employing them. Uh, and the second one, if we help illegal aliens, aren't we breaking the law? I think we both had something to say on that last time. You want to go first? Or want to go I want you to go first so I can remember what I might say. So here's the deal. Romans 13 says, Romans 13 says we're to obey the law, right? And we're to respect the authorities. But we also know great examples like Martin Luther King Jr. who broke laws for the sake of righteousness and right, right? There are times when we should break laws because it's right. But can I propose this as a thinking process? If Martin Luther King had existed 150 years before and done the exact same age, same same process he did then, would it have been wise or would it have just resulted in extreme abuse and death of many people? And this is where I think we get into these buoys. And we have to be spirit-led. What is the alignment that God wants us to have today in order to be effective? And uh, if you uh, feel like that alignment is part of your caring for people who are undocumented is to hire them, then here's my advice to you. 
Pay them as good or better than you pay anybody else. Don't take advantage of them. That would be wrong. And if you're going to do that, then if the government comes knocking, don't hide a thing. Be open and honest and pay the consequences. That was the model, I think, one of the brilliant models that Martha, Martin Luther King gave us in the movement of civil rights. He was willing to pay the price, and he did it kindly. He did not do it angrily. He did not, you know, hit the policeman or, or fight it. He said, I'm doing this. I know it's wrong. Here's my hands. Okay? And that's sometimes the price we pay to do what's right, to bring change in our culture. And we need to make those decisions individually, knowing they're right before God on our own. Yeah, this is where the tension is really beautiful. Uh, where clearly Scripture says that we need to um, uh, obey the laws that of the governing, you know, land all over us. But there's also a sense that we need to be responsible for um, the call that God has placed on us. And and <clears throat> the earlier we this question came up in the last service, and I brought up two scriptures. One was uh, Matthew 22, where the the Pharisees are challenging Jesus about paying taxes to Caesar, and Jesus responds. Uh, in uh, verse 18 of chapter uh, chapter 22. He says, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used in paying the tax. And then he asks, Whose portrait is on this? Render under Caesar's what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And so it, it's almost this wonderful dichotomy of, you know, what's what's the law of the land we have to understand and, and obey, but we also have to understand the, the law of God that's placed on our hearts. And um, if we look back into Deuteronomy 6 and to the Shema, uh, there's this uh, amazing, if you guys are familiar with it, that's, you know, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And uh, the word strength, when we really understand it in the Hebrew context, means to utilize your resources in, in order to um, help the community that you're a part of. It's that abundance of resource that is really the strength. And, and so it's clear that there's this sense that we are responsible uh, to make our community better uh, because we're following the laws of God. But we also have to um, deal with you know what the laws of the land are. And so in that tension, we have to deal with it. It's hard, it's messy, it's difficult, but that's part of what we're called to as followers of Christ. So... Any other questions or are we, are we running out of time, Dusty? Uh, we have time for one more. And just to let everybody know, uh, if you did submit a question and didn't get answered, of course, you have Ross's invitation to, to speak to him. But also we do put the Q&A from both services on the back of each of our podcasts uh, each and every week. So make sure you subscribe to that and you could hear uh, some more of them that were asked in the last service. In comparison to many, I've never been fired up about immigration. I feel that I need to act loving as Christ does the best I can and then to vote in a way that reflects my beliefs. Is this being passive, and is it okay to feel passive on this topic? I know whose question this is, but I'm not going to say. You take it. No, I, I, I mean, I, what I would say is yes and no. Uh, I, I think... Um, <laughs> Isn't that great? So, beautiful, so committal today. Beautiful tension. Beautiful tension. That's all I'm saying. Uh, someone, <laughs> someone said to me before uh, this service that that a bridge has two points, and and so by definition, it's it's a, you know on both shores, and that's what I'm saying about this one. Yes, uh, you know it's it's good to vote your beliefs, and no, it's not okay to be passive because I don't think that we're supposed to be passive. As followers of Christ, we need to be actively uh, seeking to influence those around us. And part of that is really saying we want to respect relationships above the differences. And so we're going to actively a- approach this. And so yes and no. 
Um, would you add anything? It depends on what the passivity is about. You know, part of the passivity that I find goes back to, I don't remember if I said it low service, and I may have only said it first service. How often do you listen to the news? How do you feel when you come out of the news? Does your heart feel more light? Does it feel softer? Does it feel more hopeful? Right? So how much of that passive is the fact that it feels hopeless? And do we need to back away a little bit from the news once in a while and let our hearts be soft so that we're actually then soft and not passive in the moment when we run into the uh, undocumented uh, Mexican family whose kid is playing soccer with yours and they sit off by themselves down at the end, that our heart is soft and we pursue them with kindness. We welcome them. We try to engage them. We get them in. Even if we only see them for six to eight weeks of the year because of soccer, that we have a soft heart to pursue and be one element of being kind to them. So if you're watching too much news, I recommend checking about every three, four days. And if they're saying something new, pay attention. If not, I mean, look, that news article seven years ago, it could have been last week. I mean, it's, you know, how much more information are we going to get from that? So, but the point is today, really, we want to keep our hearts soft, and that's really the invitation. It's really the invitation. And the only way we keep our hearts soft is to acknowledge the offenses and the burdens and the costs that we've paid because our government has got an issue that's out of control that, have, that has affected us at times very, very personally. We've got to be honest with those things. And yet at the same time, we need to pursue being loving, strong on what we believe, understanding that they may pay consequences because they're undocumented, and we may even agree with those consequences, and yet within that, we're not going to avoid them. We're going to pursue them for relationship above differences and relationship above offense. Only tentatively. I mean, you look at the Bible times, even in Jesus' time, Israel spoke three different languages. There was Greek spoken, there was Aramaic spoken, which was actually the common language of the Hebrew people during Jesus' day, for instance, and there was Hebrew spoken. So um, there was, uh, it's different than our culture. The, 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 most of the countries had uh, multiple languages spoken, and you were expected to grow up learning to speak those. So. You know, you can argue that there is there is one scripture I, I actually had a reference in my notes and took it out, so I can't tell you the address of it that did talk about that they should learn the customs of the Jewish people and and all that kind of stuff. But you can't conclusively say that the Bible says they should speak our language. I have nothing to add. That's great. <laughs> all right. Uh, sorry about the last question. I had turned my own microphone off. Here we go. In First Peter, Peter refers to believers as exiles. And elsewhere we hear about being resident aliens as the world rejects us. Uh, if we can't change national immigration right now, can we at least use it as a metaphor for how we believers should be living in the world? Jeremy looks like he's got an answer on that. Uh, uh, I'm not sure about that. 
Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think it is a member. That, that was part of the point in the, in the message in Philippians. That whole metaphor of us being resident aliens is true. And, and for those of you who uh, get frustrated with the, um, uh, the reaction to Christians in the public venue and what you would say would be persecution, why should we not take that feeling and say we never want anybody else to feel that? and use it as a metaphor for how we relate personally to other people. Yeah, and I, I would even suggest that Scripture really calls us to this. Um, Hebrews 11, uh, this is, you know, you talk about the hall of faith. This is how we encourage believers um, in this text. Well, in verse 13 and following, it says, All of these people, these are all the people who by faith lived, all of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. I, I think that um, this, is, this is a great question because I think it's a, it is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to recognize that uh, people without a home or people who are coming into our place, like we have some sense of... Uh, understanding of their position because of our lives as Christians who are different in the world. We're set apart. We are uh, not like everyone else around us, and so therefore we can have empathy uh, for them because of that. Very good. Okay, let's, uh, let's go to the next one. When there are people coming to this country that have hostile beliefs against Christianity, how are we supposed to still be loving and kind to them especially people from countries that have been fighting over faith uh, for thousands of years. Okay, I'll start on that. You know, someday I actually want to do a series uh, maybe on Daniel, because Daniel is an interesting study. They are in Babylon. They are living for years, and Daniel is actually in a high place in government in a place that is very, very hostile to his religion on the whole. Obviously, he gets thrown a lion's down at one point, right? I mean, so that's the whole story. So to me, this is, this is a reflection of a little bit of, um, sorry, this may be a little bit strong to say, but this is a, a, a reflection to me of how it's easy for us as Christians to want to insulate ourselves. So one of the, one of the saddest things for me in my whole ministry life was... Um, in Tulsa, when we were, I was there and the church was growing and doing really well, and we were working with interns, and we had, over the course of the years, 30, 35 interns working with us. We had one of the largest populations of Muslim Middle East people uh, in the nation, uh, per, I mean, based, based upon size by a percentage, because we had Tulsa University, one of the premier oil and gas universities in the country. I used to deliver, working through college, I delivered UPS down there, and everybody other's, every, every other person's name was Muhammad. I mean, I'm not joking. Uh, that's not a stereotype. That's, not a, that, that, that's just the reality. Uh, they'd sign, and I'd say, what's your name? Muhammad. And I, you know, and, uh, and I could never get interns to actually go down there and reach them. I think it is a huge gift that God is bringing to America, putting people in. I think this is part of the tenant's argument of, of, what, of the question he proposes. What greater change in life happens than changing culture, changing language, changing country, leaving family behind, going to a foreign place? 
What greater change makes people more ripe to consider the gospel than that? So, boy, I hope, I hope we have tons of people coming to our hostel to our beliefs. And I hope that we can be the kindest people on earth so they don't, so they, because the Bible says, you do good even to somebody who's hostile to you and the governing authorities, let's apply that here. You do good to somebody who's even hostile to you, to you, they have a hard time doing evil back to you when you do good to them. I mean, I could illustrate that from my friend's Pamela, Pamela's life, who works among the Muslim population in Texas where she lives when she's home and has been overseas other than that. It's, it's the reality. When we treat them with kindness, it's part of the gospel and brings them to faith. Yeah, very good. Uh, this one is two parts. The government's laws say don't employ illegals, but abundant kindness might include employing them? Question mark. If we help illegal aliens, aren't we breaking the law? Yeah, and that gets to the whole question, when is, when is, um, when do we cross that threshold where breaking the law is being a part of the kingdom of God? Uh, Martin Luther King broke laws out of a sense of leading that he was doing what God wanted him to do. I would have to argue, though, that I think we need to exercise wisdom in that because I think if, if somebody had come along like Martin Luther King 150 years earlier in that and tried to do the same thing he did, they probably would have all been shot and it probably wouldn't have been a wise, bring, a wise way to bring about change. So that comes down to these guideposts. Maybe for right now, this guidepost is the most important and orienting to us to navigate through the waters. But maybe... Five years from now, it's going to be a different one. And that's where wisdom, that's where the leading of the Holy Spirit, that's where prayer needs to really influence our politics and influence the way we, way we believe and the way we do it. So theoretically, yes, there might be a time when God says, for the sake of caring for them who are here and they have no other option, I don't know. But don't pay them, but, but, but don't pay them an unfair wage. Because that's what a lot of people are doing. They're exploiting them, paying them an unfair wage, and that's causing problems. So if you're going to break the law, pay them generously. That's a, I think that's a great point. And, and I like the way that, that Jesus handles it when the Pharisees challenged him with almost the same question. Uh, you know, I don't know if you remember this in Matthew 22. Uh, the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, what do we do with um, paying the taxes to the government? And Jesus says, well, render under Caesar what is his. And, and he talks about the coin. You know, it's Caesar's face that's on the coin. So give that to him. Follow the laws that are placed over us. But we also have to balance that with... Um, the challenge in Deuteronomy 6, uh, where if you're familiar with the Shema, this is something that I taught on recently, uh, in the deeper understanding of it, when, when uh, we're told to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength, that word strength actually refers to the resources that we have, that we need to be people who are uh, uh, influencing and supporting and using our resources to make our community stronger and better. And so I, I love that point about um, it's, it's subversive in a way. You know, if you're going to break the law, then you need to treat uh, those, um, those aliens uh, as well as you would anyone who's, who's not uh, an immigrant. That's beautiful. I have a couple more for you. We have about 
four minutes left that we could ask questions here. So if your uh, question didn't get asked, I would encourage you to subscribe to our podcast uh, just in case it does get asked in the next service, um, as both sets of Q&A will be on those each and every week. Uh, but this question says, so what do we do about Romans 13? Do we have the mindset to enforce the law and obey laws of the land, or do we look the other way with that issue and just focus on loving the illegals? And then I looked up uh, Romans 13. That's the first passage there. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. I think Matthew 22 uh, kind of deals with that, like I just said, where where Jesus, you know, in order to avoid the trap that the Pharisees set before him, he said, look, um, you know, that which is Caesar's give to him, whatever, it doesn't matter, all the economy on the earth is really God's anyway. And uh, and so there is that sense of, you know, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except that which God has established. Jesus is saying that same thing uh, in a way. And I'm not really answering that question, so I'm going to let Ross. I think here's the reality of our situation. If you've been around, if you if you've listened to the news or, or talked to people very much, you know that the you know that the government doesn't have the capacity and isn't even bothering to arrest people when they know they're illegal half the time because they don't have the capacity to deal with them. So what's the point of you trying to turn them in? I mean, that's kind of the the essence of that question. So to me, a render under Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's would be if the government says, comes to you because they've arrested somebody, you tell them the truth. But why would we go out of our way to go do that? To try to turn them in. They're not enforcing against businesses, typically. They're not enforcing against individuals. So are we the law enforcement people? And, and that's going to be a fine line. You're going to have to decide what God calls you to do. Maybe there will be a time when the abuse is so much because somebody's undercutting pay and treating them poorly and abusing them in a business. Maybe it is appropriate for you to report that abuse. Um, but maybe not. Uh, and with a government that is unwilling and unable largely to enforce it, what's the point a lot of times of reporting it? You know, see what I'm saying? I mean, it's kind of the practice of it, to a certain extent, that I think helps guide us through those questions of, well, what do we do in subjection to the government? All right, last one. Uh, did they have illegal uh, slash legal immigrants in biblical times? Are you saying we should treat them both illegal or legal, uh, the same in relationships? That's where the difficulty comes in. The Bible isn't, <clears throat> isn't clear. That there were uh, that there were any laws setting up rules around immigration. Um, the closest you come to that in the Bible is an indication that uh, when Joseph brought his family down to Egypt, they got a letter of permission to come. But you can't really establish a theology and, and, and understand the law of the government off that because that's not really a normal situation. We're talking about the second in command of all Egypt having their family come, going through hostile territory, them sending letters of, of approval for them to come along with military people to protect them on the journey, and then giving them a special big land grant. Why? Not because they're an ordinary immigrant, because they're the family of the second in charge. So some people have tried to establish immigration policy off that, and it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. It's too unique of a situation. There's nothing else in the Bible to indicate uh, that that kind of policy was there. Uh, but it does generically say the government's responsibility is to protect its citizens, to establish laws that do so, 
and it gives the government the right to enforce boundaries, but beyond that, it really doesn't say a lot. So let's have the worship team come, um, and uh, I wanted to do one other thing too. So we've been having a bunch of questions that have not gotten answered over the last few weeks, and so what I've decided to do is after services, if you've submitted a question that you are really wanting somebody to talk about what does the Bible say about this, I'm not an expert on everything, but I'll do my best to do that. Even if you've got questions from the last two weeks when we talked about the authority of the Scripture and last week when we talked about the role of women and what the Bible says about that, if you had questions the last two weeks that didn't get answered, I'd be happy to hang out. So I'm just going to hang out down front after service is all over and for, for additional questions. And uh, if you want prayer after the service, there'll be people to pray for you in the back area there. But I think where, we, uh, where I'd like to invite us to end if no, no place else, and I think maybe we could probably all agree on this as well. If you're like me, and I think a lot of you are, you probably listen to way too much news. And the news probably doesn't do a lot of healthy stuff for your heart. It probably makes you frustrated. It probably makes you angry. It probably makes you feel hopeless that these problems are never going to be solved, that our government's always going to be inept, and we're going to always have these increasing, ever-increasing tax bills, and you walk away with this sense of weight and pressure. And I'm not saying don't listen to the, doesn't listen to the news. I listen to it less than I used to. Uh, what I'm inviting you today and what we're inviting you to even do through communion today as we, as we start to partake of communion as we begin worship is to go to God and say, would you soften my heart? Would you soften my heart so that I can be strong in setting boundaries and knowing how to vote, which is my role as a citizen, in how we should set boundaries? But would you make myself, my heart really soft, even to those people who I have personally paid a price for, whether it's in your business or your tax bill or whatever, who are here illegally? Would you make my heart soft to them and allow me to be like you to them? So I want to invite you to that. Come today and just ask God to make your heart soft, to repent of anything you need to repent of, ask Jesus to forgive you, and then ask him to make you really strong and a representative of him in this issue and every issue as you come for communion. So, Lord, we just bless this time. We ask that you would come and meet each and every one of us as we receive communion, that you would uh, touch our hearts, that you would touch our minds, that you'd bring things to memory that we need to think of right now and surrender to you. Lord, that we would encounter you in a way that, that we walk out of here softer with a stronger sense of your presence and stronger hope because we're part of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.